And well done is this series that we're in right now, right? This sense that we have, we're, we're, um, we're investigating. What, it, what are the actions and the attitudes that will prompt God to speak to us in that final day and to say, well done, good and faithful servant? And we want, we know instinctively that, that our whole life is to be lived out in terms of our faith in Christ, that our whole life should become this expression of who we are in Jesus, that, that the gospel should dramatically impact every area of our life, right? And it doesn't matter if we're trying to figure out how to live out our faith as a student making our way through our education, or as an employer, or as a business owner, or as an employee, or a friend, or a spouse, or a parent, or a citizen. There are all these components of our life where we're saying, I want, to, I want these to be authentic expressions of of the work of Jesus Christ in my life. And in all of these areas, there are actions and attitudes that please God, that capture his attention, that bear his approval, and which lead him to say of us, well done, good and faithful servant. In December, I lost a dear friend of mine. I met him when I was in high school, but years before that, he had been diagnosed with what would ultimately be a terminal disease. They didn't give him very long when he contracted it as a child. He outlived his life expectation by about 45 years. And in those extra 45 years that God gave him, uh, he pursued God with all his heart. He became a pastor of a successful church. He led thousands of people to Christ and launched hundreds into ministry. And at his memorial, there was this constant theme of celebration because this, this man who had become so important in my life got to experience himself in reality what is for most of us yet a future hope, a moment in the loving arms of God who, who looks to him, looked at him and says, well done, good and faithful servant. His story inspires me because I want to have that kind of impact. His story inspires me because I want a moment like that of hearing God's approval expressed in words. His story inspires me because I want that for all of us, to reach the point and the end faithfully and hear, well done, good and faithful servants. And it's hard because we want all of our life to demonstrate these actions and attitudes that please God, right? But like whole life is so broad, there's so much. And so frequently we'll kind of break down our life into its various facets and ask questions about what pleases God in that area. In the area of my sexuality, what is pleasing to God? In the area of my friendships, what is pleasing to God? In the area of my dating relationships, in the area of, of parenting, family, what's pleasing to God? And today we're going to ask that same question, what is pleasing to God about a specific facet of life that's always just a little bit touchy? Our finances. In the area of our financial life, what are the actions and the attitudes that are pleasing to God? If you ever want to suck the air out of an auditorium full of church people, just mention you're going to talk about finances. Very effective. At the church I was at years ago, my very close friend uh, was very involved in the church, loved the church, deeply involved, served and volunteered and led, and all he really wanted was for his dad to come and be a part of the church and follow Christ with him there at that church. Only his dad rarely attended. Over the course of maybe four years, I think he attended ten times. Now, at that church, much like this church, we don't talk about money all the time. We just talked about it occasionally, maybe two or three times a year. And as fate would have it, 
My friend's father, who attended church 10 times in four years, heard 10 different messages about money. Every, literally every time he arrived at church, there was a message about money. We didn't know if he had like an inside guy, right? Checking the schedule. People saw him walk through the doors and said, "Uh uh-oh, money talk, and then they made their way out. And I said, look, man, here's the deal. If every time I walked into church there was a message about humility, and that's the only message I, I ever heard, I'd ask myself, God, what are you saying? So, what's God saying? He didn't come back after that. That was weird. <laughs> want to look through four passages that highlight some of the both actions and the attitudes that speak to God's pleasure, that identify the kinds of actions and attitudes that God is pleased with, that would prompt him to say, well done. And I just want to be really clear, really clear at the outset. These are not the things that get you into God's good graces. This is not the way that you get God to love you or convince him that he ought to have you on the team, right? These are actually for those who have already stepped across the line of faith and said, I'm going to follow Jesus. Jesus, how would you want me to live? This is Jesus' answer to that where money is concerned. If you're not yet on that side of the line of faith, if you're just exploring even maybe what it means to be a Christian or a follower of Jesus and you're not sure, you get the privilege this morning kind of looking in from the outside to see what, it's, what Jesus says to those who are on the inside, but this is not necessarily meant to, com- to compel you in that direction. So, so you feel free to follow along and to enjoy. Jesus begins in Matthew 6. It's a great passage, and he starts by saying this. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. This whole of Matthew 6 has that umbrella statement, be careful about the way that you practice your righteousness. So, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, Don't let your left hand even know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So what's the action that pleases God? Caring for the needy. Using whatever resource and financial resource or resource of time and energy that you have to meet the needs of people who can't meet needs on their own. Do you notice that there's the expectation of that? Jesus doesn't say to everyone who's listening, hey, if you ever do that, if you ever give to the needy, he says when you do. Again, he's talking about the, the, what, how to go about the business of practicing righteousness and following God. He says, well, part of that is caring for the needy. And when you do that as an expectation, that, it's, that there's a certain way that you should go about that. So the expectation of Jesus is that a part of following him will be to care for those who are in need. And then he speaks directly to the attitude that accompanies that, because it's not just the act of giving and caring for the needy, but it's the attitude behind it. And the attitude is this, it's not about you. He says, look, when you give, although it is an expression of your discipleship, although it's an expression of your love for God, although it may be in obedience to who God's calling you to be, you may actually be stepping out as an expression of God in your life, caring for others, While that's true, there's something more important going on, and it's that person. He makes the point, don't don't humiliate the person that you're helping by calling attention 
through your own activity. That needy person that you're helping, and you can define need in lots and lots of ways, and you can define meeting that need in lots and lots of ways, right? But that person in need that you're helping and that you're assisting, they're a human person made in the image of God. And far more important than whatever benefit or pleasure or good feelings you derive by helping them, Jesus calls attention to this person is a human person and must be treated with the dignity that's appropriate to that. And that means not doing anything like calling attention to your own goodness. Hey, I'm a good person over here. Do you see this poor, needy, broken, hurting, desperate, vile person over here? Behold the misery. I'm here to help. Right? That kind of attitude that focuses on me gives, uh, does nothing to recognize the dignity of the person that I aim to help. And Jesus says, don't let that happen. To protect against that, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. The point here is to offer to help in a loving way that lifts and raises and benefits others, not to call attention to yourself that way, right? And I, wanna, I think at North Church, I just want to commend us as a church because the idea of meeting the needs of those who are around us is something that we've really embraced wholeheartedly. And yes, we do talk publicly sometimes about the ways that we as a group have come together to meet some needs in really big ways, and that's important, and that's valuable, and hopefully those stories are inspiring to you. I know they are for me. But you, equally inspiring, although you wouldn't know about it, are all the places throughout the life of this church where giving and care is happening under the radar, well, where people are volunteering their time and their energy, and they're directing their resources into places where people in need are being loved and cared for, and you never hear about it, and you never know about it. Life groups who go and serve together, and, and you'll never know. Individuals, neighbors, maybe the person sitting right next to you who's volunteering their free time and helping out wherever they can because they just want to meet the needs that exist out there as an expression of God's love, and you would never know. And I simply want to say, North Church, we are a church that loves those in need and reaches out with practical care. And we do a great job, and I want to commend us in that. Jesus carries on in this passage uh, a little further down in verse 19 and gives us another insight with regard to the attitudes and actions that please God where our financial life is concerned. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasure on earth where the moths and the vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Hear this, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. But you cannot serve both God and money. Jesus gets unmistakably clear here, right? That something's got to come first. And so at the action level, what Jesus is calling his people to do is to say that part of what, he, part of what we do with the resource God has entrusted us is to invest in the expansion of God's kingdom. One of the reasons God gives us resource, financial, energy, time, or whatever, is so that we can invest it and grow his kingdom. And that's not limited to just what we give and, and in the church, although the church is certainly one of the primary places where that happens for sure. And this is, this is what I love. If, if you talk to any of the many, many, many people at North Church who give on a consistent, regular, and committed basis, 
when you talk to them and ask, to the, ask them about why would you do that? Why do you, why do you take a portion of the resources that are yours to direct, resources that you could use to do anything with, and why do you direct them there? And over and over and over again, the answer that you would hear to that question would be people saying, when I give money there, the kingdom of God grows. It grows within people, it grows within families, it grows within the community. I give because I'm participating and empowering a movement of God's spirit through the church and into our city in a way that I believe is effective and dynamic and powerful. I love that. I love that that's the case. Because when we give in the offering and when we give to the church, we're doing more than keeping the lights on and the heater running, right, and paying the utilities. That's a part of it, but much more importantly than that, we're saying we're participating in the way God's kingdom is growing and expanding in us initially and then through us out into the world. And that inspires me. And then the attitude that has to accompany the giving is that attitude of heaven first, right? That it says, it's not just in my financial life, this is in every area of my life, that what happens here and now in this life, as important as it is, is not the most important thing. That there's, there's an eternity to be reckoned with, and that there's an eternal life to be gained, and that there's an eternal perspective that I can share even now that helps me recognize what happens now is meaningful and valuable, significant and important, but it's not anything compared to the future glory that awaits us. And so I can now live my life in ways that reflect that future glory now. I can live my financial life now in ways that reflect that future glory later on. And here again, North Church does a great job with that. Jesus continues that passage and says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And so do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. One of the things I love about this particular passage is that it is just, it stands in its own merits so well. It needs very little further ex explanation uh, from up front. It's really clear what God is saying. I think in terms of action, he's saying that we're to seek God's kingdom and God's righteousness first above all else. To not let all those other things enter in and become the first things that we seek. What is it that you tend to seek first instead of God's kingdom and instead of God's righteousness? 
Is it security? Is it safety? Is it predictability? Is it that ability to kind of control the world in which I live? I, we're in, Rochelle and I are in this season of, of life right now where, you know, what, the, the thing that I tend to think first and seek first when I wake up in the morning is to go, I wonder where my next job's going to be. I need to look into that. And this passage challenges me to say, no, 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 don't jump the gun. Before you get to that, as significant and as important as it is, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and trust him with the rest. And that actually speaks to the attitude because the attitude that goes along with this is don't worry. Don't worry, God will take care of you. Have you ever just decided, you know what? I'm not going to worry. I'm just going to make a choice and not worry anymore. How did that work out for you? I got a secret. Not, that's not how not worrying works. You don't just one day decide I'm not going to anymore. Because the worries we face, they're real. I will be honest to you. I love that passage about God caring for the birds and the trees, right? And, and taking care of them and everything. And, and like, I love that idea and it resonates. But a week or two back when it snowed, some squirrel fell out of a tree in my backyard, landed in the snow, froze to death, and was lying there with his claws in the air, and that's where my dog discovered him. And I'm like, where's that squirrel in Matthew 6? Where's God taking care of him, and what if I'm the squirrel? That makes me want to worry. And when I feel like I'm the squirrel, just deciding I'm not going to worry doesn't get the job done. You know what does get the job done? What gets the job done is connecting very closely with some people of a biblical mindset who will speak to my fears in words that reflect the promises of Scripture. People who encourage me and continue to remind me and speak into my life that God is on the throne and his will will be done and he will care for me and he will be with me and that we can trust him. And, and what else helps is, is hearing that from friends, but hearing it myself in the words of Scripture and digging into the Bible and, and allowing the promise of God to wash over my life, to wash over and to overcome the worry that's so naturally within me and, and to wash that away and settle me into a sense of peace because God's presence and because of God's promise. Don't, don't just try harder to turn the switch of worry off. But I would encourage you, engage instead in a process of hearing about the promises and the goodness of God so that your worry can fade away. Finally, in 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to this church. And, and wherever Paul went for a long period, he actually took up a collection for the home church in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was suffering from famine and there was persecution. And the church in Jerusalem was really struggling. So when Paul planted new churches all over uh, the Mediterranean, he would take up collections specifically to meet the needs of the suffering church in Jerusalem. And in Corinth, uh, they were on board completely, and Paul is getting ready to come and actually collect the offering that they have for the Jerusalem church, and he writes this to the Corinthians, since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So yes, there's the action again of supporting people in need, right? Here are a group of people who are struggling and there's an action to be taken to give to support that need with whatever financial resource you have available. That is for sure. But the attitude that goes along with this I find captivating. He says, 
See that you excel in the grace of giving. He kind of compares it to the other areas of their spiritual growth really directly, right? You have grown in faith. You've grown in speech. You've grown in knowledge. You've grown in earnestness. You've grown in love. In every area of your spiritual life, you have grown in excellence. Here's another area to grow in excellence, in excellence to become better and better in the grace of giving. And I think one of the things that that means for us very specifically at this time of year, at the beginning of the year, is to say, hey, whatever, whatever rhythm or habits or patterns of giving may already be installed in your life, what a great season to say, God, this year, how are you calling me to grow in the grace of giving? Let me not be complacent on just the sense that, well, this is what I do, and this is what I've always done, and this is what I always will do. But maybe take that risk of seeking God and saying, Lord, is there something new? Is there something else? Is there something different? Is there something more? God, how are you calling me to grow in the grace of giving in this coming year? And as you, as you sense God prompting your heart and, and leading you and guiding you towards that next step, apply courage to that voice that is his. Now, I, I, I need to close by... Being real clear, much of what we've spoken about here this morning has been very abstract. It's been ide very idea-oriented. And anyone can listen to a bunch of ideas, but it takes strength and courage to put feet to those ideas and to do something about it. And I want to suggest that you may not feel like you know exactly what to do. Like, you may know, hey, in, in order to do any of these things, I'm going to have to get out of debt. I'm going to have to set up a budget. I'm going to have to develop a savings plan. I'm going to have to learn how to be more content, right? There, there, there are things I need to do, but many of us just flat out don't know how to do them. I want to give you a couple super practical things that you can do. Beginning in February, there's a nine-week class, Financial Peace University, that is specifically designed to help us put very practical, tangible steps of of action to these ideas, to teach us broadly a biblical view of money and finance, but then very practically, how do you do that in the day in and the day out? What are the actual steps you take to handle the, and manage your money in a godly way? If you've not been a part of that and you, don't, and you feel like um, you need some help getting there, this is fantastic, and I would encourage you to register for that right after the service at the info center as well. Young adults, there's something coming up this week, an adulting 101 class, going to be talking about money. So specifically for where you are and the stage of life you are and how to get started in that, I want to encourage you to take, uh, take a look at that as well. That is right up your alley and it will be very, very valuable. And finally, I want to talk to some of you who have demonstrated, maybe over the course of a long time, you're walking in faithfulness. That if God looked at your financial life today, he would say, well done, good and faithful servant. If that's you, would you pray? about how taking some of what God has cultivated into your life and helping you to share that with someone who needs that experience, who's someone who needs that expertise, someone who may need a mentor to walk with them through something like financial peace in order to learn and to grow. Maybe you're a life group leader, and this is a chance for your life group to grow together through this. I don't know. But, but if, if this is an area that you feel like God has given you some victory in your life, it's time to pray about how do I share that victory with some others. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll close today. Heavenly Father, ultimately and finally, we are desperate for you above all else. And God, we want to ask, as we close our time this morning, that you would speak to each one of us. God, would you, be, would you prompt us deep on the inside? 
with what our next step is, with, with what practical step we can take? Would you identify for us in our hearts, God, what it is you're calling us to do and how it is that you're calling us to adapt and to change and to grow? God, we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, not just about our financial life, but about our entire life in you. So Holy Spirit, would you lead us and guide us in that direction in Jesus' name? Amen. Thank you, Pastor Scott. That's great. Uh, if you haven't already got one, we have these uh, Bible cards, reading cards, that uh, will help you uh, track with the series that we're doing and give you some scriptures that you can be reading in between Sundays. So if you don't already have a consistent Bible reading plan, make sure and pick up one of these cards. You can get them out at the welcome counter. And they're also online as well. And basically, it just takes a couple of the passages, helps you go deeper with the subject that we're talking about, and give you some ideas of how you can listen to God and journal and just grow in your walk with God. And just we want everybody to spend that time regularly with God because when you do, he's going to fill you with hope. He's going to fill you with, with uh, his joy and with his peace. Let's stand up together. And uh, if you're newer, newer to the church, I'll be right over here to say hello to you. If you need prayer, right over on this other side, our prayer team will be there for you. God bless. Have a great day.